Hello and welcome back to another episode of Checking In. In studios with us today we have Jamila Van Steinberg yeah. with VLS Developments. Yes. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So really important, uh, we have a, a little bit of an, um, a change in what I normally do. So I'm normally bringing in people that I know very well. Mm -hmm. I know their story quite well and I know their business quite well. And uh, you've honored me by coming into the studio and allowing me to ask you questions and I haven't even earned your, your trust or your um, friendship in, in community. So thank you very much for, for, for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. I'm honored that you asked me to come in and talk with you and it looks like we're gonna get to know each other in front of the cameras. <laughs> I love it, I love it. So I, I had seen you uh, post something and I think we decided it was probably on Facebook about mm -hmm. uh, going off on your own or something to do with the real estate market in Penticton. Mm -hmm. Something you posted or something you said just really attracted me to you and then I became curious. So if anybody ever gets in my sights, <laughs> uh, we're, we're bound to either meet, be friends, work together, or uh, all of the above. So um, would love to know a bit of your story. And I know questions will come out of it. All right. Well, um, I, think, I think a big part of my story is going back to kind of where I've come from and where I've ended up. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs have a lot of different journeys. Some of them are lucky enough to you know, have had entrepreneurial parents or mm -hmm. um, lived within that environment. And um, I think a lot come from very dynamic or uh, crazy childhoods, I guess, that they kind of feel this sense of need to be something. And I think I can relate much more to that story. Interesting. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I grew up with an interesting family and... Um, my parents were hippies, you know, they wanted to stick it to the man. I wanted to be the man, so <laughs> uh, it was a little different. And um, I was born in Toronto and my parents, when I was really young, we moved to Vancouver. And when we moved to Vancouver, there was no plan. We piled everything in the car. We drove across Canada. Uh, we lived under the Lionsgate Bridge in a tent for the oh first two weeks. Oh my gosh. Yes, until the only people they knew in Vancouver took us in because it started raining and it didn't stop raining for like 32 days or something like that. And and then um, my parents wanted to be totally off the grid and they packed up the vehicle and they, um, you know, took whatever they could take in the van and started driving and drove through the Okanagan Valley and through Kelowna and kept going up Highway 33 and they saw a sign that said lots, a dollar down. No. Yep. No. In what? Beaverdale. Oh. I don't know if a lot of people know where Beaverdale is. It's about a half an hour past Big White. Yeah. In the middle of nowhere. Population 46. Right. right? Nowhere. Dollar down. Dollar down lots. And uh, they pulled over. They gave the guy $2 and they bought two lots side by side that uh, we literally could not even access. They were dense forest and it, they had a ditch. It was a six foot ditch and it was summertime. And when we got there, I remember spending the first 
three or four weeks just hauling buckets of sand and my dad cutting trees down to create a driveway and then laying the trees in the ditch and us pouring the sand over the trees just to build a driveway just to get yep. the vehicle on the driveway so we spent three years of our life there and we had no running water no power the entire time no bathroom uh, we lived in the van we lived in a tent we lived in a bus my dad eventually built a hut and then eventually built like the shape of a house it had no amenities in it but it was a square box on, up off the ground and uh yeah how old were you so what year is this this was oh, i'm terrible about knowing years in yeah, timelines yeah. but this would have been for me grade seven okay uh, sorry, not grade seven. I was seven. Grade two. Oh my gosh. Through yeah. to the end of grade four. Yeah. And so there is a massive chunk of like pop culture history. I have no idea who New Kids on the Block are. No clue. No, nope. I totally missed grid. that. I was off, you were the, off grid. the grid. Totally missed that part. Yeah. Yeah. So you you stayed. From the time they had the lots and you lived up in Beaverdale? Yes. You've stayed in the Okanagan ever since? We have stayed, yeah. Okay. So after three years of that, um, somebody decided we needed... Running water? Running water. Okay. Yeah. That's Like good. we would haul water up from the river oh and boil gosh. it. Oh my gosh. You know, and you'd get snowed in for weeks. You wouldn't be able to go anywhere in the car. And I was young enough to like just have fun with it. I remember chasing wild rabbits through the property and bare feet over the the oh. the fallen down trees. You know, we were totally bush bush kids, me and my brother. Okay. Yeah, and um, yeah, eventually someone decided we needed running water, and uh, we packed up and moved into Kelowna, and we rented a home on Richter, and this yeah. would have been. 20 some odd years ago so Kelowna was quite a bit smaller than it was very now different. very different yeah. and uh, my mom said for the first week all my brother and I did was run around the house and flick the lights on and off because we couldn't believe how easy it was to, to turn light. the light on yeah the things we take for granted right? today yes yeah. to think I build homes where people need to have heated floors in the bathroom right <laughs> Okay, I feel guilty. I've heated floors. <laughs> so do I. Oh, so do I. They're fantastic. <laughs> so, career paths, school. Where'd you go to school? Um, well, in that process of my childhood, my dad loved marijuana. He was a big pothead. He grew a lot of it. I know today it's legal and he's just a pothead, but 20 years ago, he might have been a coke. Coke dealer or a heroin dealer was all lumped into the same. So my dad was a drug dealer, right? And um, when we moved here, he was arrested uh, oh. with weed in the house. And we went through that whole process as a family of him being arrested. And he ended up with house arrest. And we can't, we all, all the experiences you have in life, you come they, out stronger on the other end. Absolutely. Um, but as a child growing up uh, with this secret, you couldn't tell anybody, you know, my dad's a, a drug guy, you know, a guy, my basement's full of weed. <laughs> you know, you couldn't bring friends over, you, you know, you can do all that kind of stuff. So um, when I moved out, I was going to school. I was very good at school. I found a lot of um, 
joy in being really good at school. I was very competitive. I started dancing. I loved dance. I funneled all of that energy of what was going on at home into the school and getting this recognition from my teachers for being an overachiever mm -hmm. and like mm -hmm. just doing more and more and more. And when I was about 15, I moved out and I finished grade 12 high school and that was it. That was the end of school for me. Mm -hmm. um, but I did get a job uh, before I graduated with bootlegger retail, you know, Christmas mm -hmm. staff retail, got to work living on my mm -hmm. own, never took a subsidy from the government or anything, just worked and went to school and paid my bills and kept going. Contributed to society. Contri yeah, yeah. And um, I was at bootlegger for four years and I very quickly after the first few months working there, stumbled into this role as a visual merchandiser with the company. I was 18 years old and there was seven of us in the whole company, 129 stores. And I had 26 stores in my region in BC and Alberta that, uh, you know, the buyers would buy their line. We would see it, figure out how it was going to be laid out for Christmas, spring, fall. Um, we would track it. Like we could track everything, every sweater, every jean. If we put jeans on the front table, we knew if they sold faster, if we hung them in the wall. Like that was our job was to track this stuff. And I would go to the stores and meet with the managers and discuss the techniques we were figuring out that was moving product and making sure their, you know, winter display was good and their spring was good and opened new stores. And anytime there was a new store opening, we would fly in and train the staff and set the stores and that was exciting it was you. the best it was amazing i opened the new stores on robson and west edmonton mall hmm. and i always say i got my business degree in four years working for bootlegger doing that job but there's something to be said about that if you look at customer service mm. if you look at processes and systems and you you learned and as you're telling me about this i'm thinking I was actually thinking how you apply it today with respect to merchandising and, and branding and presentation and everything Yeah. Uh, in that emotional attraction to, to trigger somebody to do something. So you're, yeah. I, I, w I was wondering or, or thinking it, it likely has a big part uh, oh, in what you do today. Yeah, and I was really lucky because retail's all over the map, right? You get the big conglomerates that are well organized in systems and processes. You can get, you know, in independent stores with entrepreneurs where it's a little, like there's a very wide mm -hmm. range. You get franchisees, which yep. has systems, but they're still independent owners, right? You get that whole mix. And I was super lucky to land in a massive company because there was a process for everything. everything. Loss mm -hmm. prevention processes, merchanting processes. Um, part of my time there, we rewrote the whole merchandising manual for the company and being involved in that, mm -hmm. um, that procedure. So I learned so much mm -hmm. from there. Mm -hmm. And then from there, I worked for some smaller companies and franchise-owned companies and really got to learn the grasp of, you know, the dynamic of how companies are put together and how they grow large and how they stay small and mm -hmm. and how that all comes together. So a real uh, student of business, I think, then. 
Yeah, I don't think I knew it at the time. Well, I know I didn't know it at the time. I was just going with the flow and collecting a paycheck and paying my bills, you know, and, um, and I loved what I did. And, uh, but absolutely. And when I, when I, I worked in radio advertising for a period of time, probably about eight years before I ended up actually working in real estate. I was investing in real estate at the time, but before I like moved my whole career into real estate, I worked in radio. So I want to reiterate uh, for the audience what you just said. Okay. Working in radio advertising. Yes. But investing in real estate. Investing in real estate. There is a rare statement. Okay, go yeah. on. Yeah. So um, I was doing this job and I was, I was an advertising representative and I, my biggest thing I loved doing about the job was going out, sitting with business owners and learning everything there was to know about their business, you know, Fascinating. their ROI, yeah. their cost mm -hmm. to goods, mm -hmm. their, you know, how many units we got to move to pay for this marketing campaign and like under, and really recognizing companies that have to turn over a lot of product versus companies mm -hmm. that only got to turn over a certain amount, companies that are vulnerable to um, mm -hmm. swings in financial crises so that mm -hmm. kind of stuff, right? So, and companies that are selling essential products, which, I mean, we just spent the last six months seeing sure the effects of that on businesses. So, um, that job, I always say, was how I was going to learn what I want to do when I grow up. Absolutely. Yeah. It, w it was giving you an opportunity to take a peek into so many different windows, different verticals, sectors, industries. Yeah. Now, is that where you found your love for real estate? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Tell me more. So, I, um, I was, I, I'm on my second marriage, so I was married. And I had a beautiful baby girl. She turned 13 last week. Congratulations. And I just want to say out of everything I do, the gift. that is the best thing I do. And I didn't prepare anything to come to this. The only thing I prepared was I wanted to be able to say that on camera. Oh. Because as a woman who tries to climb the ladder of success, saying I'm a mom, <laughs> can be really hard. It can be career limiting, you know, it, like it's a really, yeah. So I've now it. Yeah. I work for myself and yeah. I can say my funnest thing I do is being a mom to my 13 year old girl. But let's go back to what I was saying. So, um, I had had a divorce. I had a six month old baby girl and, um, I had started working in radio advertising. And I was like, I'm never going to get ahead just working a paycheck, paycheck every day. Paycheck. And I was a commission per yeah. salesperson, yeah. right? So there was no base salary. I understood the more effort you put in, the more money you're going to make. But yeah. it wasn't enough for me. Mm -hmm. Coming from nothing as a child. L literally. I knew I wanted everything. But I hadn't quantified how, what, where what was going on. Huh. And I read a very significant book 10 years ago that changed everything for me, put everything into perspective. And that book was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I've read it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. Today, it's still good. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And 
I am super lucky where I get to network and talk to a lot of people that has had successful careers and mm -hmm. successful investments. And when you sell, sell homes, when you sell new construction, you work in new construction, you're talking to, especially in Kelowna, because a lot of times they're second homes. And so you're talking to a lot of people who have been successful or coming to the back end of their career. Mm -hmm. And I was all, what did you do? What, what did you do? What did you do? What did you do? And lots of CEOs, lots of people who ran businesses, but they all took that money and invested in real estate and then paid themselves after that. So, sorry, I got a little ahead of myself mm -hmm. there. But I read this Rich Dad, Poor Dad book. And one of, in the very beginning of the book, it asks you, what is rich? Mm -hmm. What is that? Mm -hmm. And for everyone, it's so different. It is. Right? Mm -hmm. You know, is it just having the security of your mortgage paid off? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say just. Is mm -hmm. it having your mortgage paid off? Mm -hmm. Going on a family vacation once a year? Mm -hmm. You know, being able to put your kids through university without, you know, remortgaging your home? Mm -hmm. um, what is it? What is that? You know, maybe it's having your own private jet and you spend half the year in Italy and, you know, but mm -hmm. de defy that for yourself. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? and then work the numbers backwards. Mm -hmm. What does that cost in today's money and how am I gonna get there? And then when you continue reading the book, his solution to that is investing in real estate and it just clicked with me, mm. it clicked. And um, at that same time I had just started, uh, not started, I think we've been dating for about a year who's now my husband. And I was like, listen, like you're either in on this or you're out like I'm really black and white with people and it's like you're either in or you're out and what are we doing and he was like you're crazy but I'm in <laughs> yeah so that reading that book sent me uh, in a whole nother focused direction and my husband and I set a goal mm -hmm. that by the time we were 40 and it was funny we we said you know how much we figured out what our end game looked like, how much money we needed a month to support that lifestyle mm -hmm. in, in today's dollars. So that was 10 years ago. And how many units, how many doors do we need collecting rent to pay that money? And so we determined we needed eight doors. Hmm. And we had 10 years to do it. And so we worked our jobs and we took all our money and every time we had a chance, we bought another property and we'd move around so that we could put 5% down and we'd pay the CMHC fees and everything we would do to get that property as long as it cash flowed, as long as it paid for itself, right? You don't jump into a property that's gonna cost you a no. ton of money, right? No. But as long as the numbers made sense, we would do everything we can to do that. And my husband turned 40 in July last year and we closed on our ninth door. Nice. Yeah. And once we did that, it was a lot of freedom. It was crazy. 
But let's examine that for a minute okay. because I can tell you there are years, we've been in business for 22 years, mm -hmm. I, can, I can map my financial years for you mm -hmm. and you will be able to pick the years we had goals and the years we didn't have goals. Mm. So you set an intention. Together you guys decided that you were going to do this yeah. by, mm -hmm. and you defined it, you verbalized it, yeah. you agreed to it, and you, and you, you set on that path and you did it. Yeah. Sacrifices all along the way. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Ever, um, ever feel it was too hard and want to reset the intention or no. just? No. Okay. I'm sure my husband had his moments. Huh? But that comes down to personality type. I am very big picture. My husband and I, all we define ourselves as I'm the what and he's the how. Oh, what and how. Yeah. That's a new one. And so as the what, when you're just looking at the big picture and, you know, you're finding the opportunities and you're like, this could work, this could work, he's like running the numbers and figuring it all out. And when you're the how, you can get very honed in on some Very details, yeah. some small details yeah. that could really freak you out. And I hope people are listening mm. that are very detail-oriented people, because I'm sure they have talked themselves out of doing a lot of things before they even got their toe wet in the pool. So what a, a good balance then. So we really balance each other yeah. out. Yeah. So if you're a how, find yourself a what. You don't need to marry them, just a good balance in business. And if you're a what, you don't think you need a how, but find yourself a how. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. So now do you both own VLS Developments? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I'm the active working partner. My husband met him in radio and he still works in radio. Um, and I actively work the company, but we both own the company together. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. He's the L. He's the L. Yeah. So my husband, I don't have my husband's last name. He's Leishman is his last name. And I'm Van Steinberg. There you go. So it's VLS. Yeah. VLS. Yeah. So you have, uh, tell us a bit about VLS developments. It's so exciting. Isn't that neat? Yeah. Yeah. I always knew that my end game moving into real estate was going to be working for myself or having mm -hmm. my own company of some sort. And when we got into real estate investing, I'm working in radio, a lot of my clients started becoming builders and developers and suppliers because I was just naturally drawn. attracted and yep. drawn to that industry. Yep. And eventually one of those clients offered me a job as a sales manager in a new construction project in Kelowna. And I thought, great, this will be how I figure out you know, mm. where I take real estate in my day-to-day -day work. And I was super lucky and honored to be a part of a lot of the um, uh, management meetings of the project in the way of how they were going to develop the land and what they were building. And, and I'm in the sales center talking to the end user coming in and what they want to spend and what they expect to get. And um, I got to have like a full picture concept yeah, of the did. whole development yeah. world. Yeah. And I realized really quickly that a lot of people ask, why didn't you become a realtor? You had to make so much money in real estate. Why didn't you just get your real estate license and become a realtor? 
And I really felt that having my license would have hindered what I wanted to be as an investor mm. in real estate. Mm -hmm. And when I started that job, I realized I need to build master plan communities. Hmm. I need to, to, to take a piece of raw land and bring in the machines and turn it into a community that people raise their families and enjoy being in. And that's, that's what I wanted to do. And so I did, I worked for that development uh, for a year and a half and in 18 months sold 65 homes and I knew I needed more construction knowledge. I needed to know how to actually build these houses. And so I went and ended up getting a job with a local builder mm -hmm. and I spent five years working with them. and. I learned, I was a project manager and I learned how to build a house. There's nothing better, there's not a better way to learn than firsthand. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny, just saying that to you made me think that a lot of people ask me, where'd you go to school? And, and never once in that whole period of time, learning marketing and advertising and being a visual specialist and deciding I needed to learn construction. Did it ever cross my head to go to school? It, it was always work, like work experience where I figured I would get the knowledge. So, and, and there certainly is advantages to both, mm -hmm. but, but to be at those tables, hearing those conversations, you, you don't exactly get that on page 123 of said textbook. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's, um, challenges that I'm, I'm assuming, I don't know, but there's challenges that could come into a project that's going to make or break the entire development. And you have to, you have to be creative. You have to be knowledgeable. You have to not panic. You have to come up with oh, the yeah. solution or the alternative. And that's, constantly through Const that yeah. development or build, I, I suspect. Mm, I love big strategic planning. That's really my wheelhouse. And um, I get to that, that, like that's, I'm in the perfect role to be doing that. And yes, it is constant evolve. I don't think there's an industry where there is the constant evolution, even within a single project. It takes up to a year to build a house from design to permitting mm -hmm. to um, construction to handing the keys over. You know, and in that year, Donald Trump can add a tariff on a drywall, which he did. He did. Two years ago, three years ago. He did. And double the cost of drywall. Yeah. And, or you can plan building in our beautiful Kelowna weather and only having you know, a couple weeks of minus temperatures to all of a sudden having a freezing year, which five years ago, my first year yes. in, went down to minus 19 uh. and had to spend four weeks heating concrete and explaining that to a client. Oh. Yes. So the there's, cost. there's, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a lot of, um, it's a, it's not easy. It's a lot of problem solving. It's, and I think another part of the construction industry is that the consumer is more disconnected from it than they've ever been. You know, a lot of people buying houses today have never even seen a raw piece of drywall with no mm -hmm. paint on it. Mm -hmm. So um, when they come in, they're thinking, you know, what color do I want my walls? What countertops do I want? How do I want my kitchen? And um, 
there's a lot till we get to that point, you know, structurally, mechanically, the, the structure of the earth beneath it. it. There's a lot of processes to that. So hmm. I love it. <laughs> so I thought one of my questions for you was going to be about um, the gap from being an employee hmm. to owning the business and how you just all of a sudden figure out accountant, legal, uh, goal setting. But you have all of these years of practice before you in the real estate investment side. So you, it isn't nearly the jump yeah. that I thought it was going to be. It was almost the natural transition yeah. to... I absolutely, it, I did a lot of prep work in the jobs I did, yeah. knowing that I needed to do my own thing at some point in time uh, to learn the skills to get there. Now, can I balance my books? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, but know what you don't know, right? And hire. Mm -hmm. And hire people who know how to do it. Mm -hmm. You don't have to know everything mm -hmm. right you don't have to know everything you got to have the right people align with the right people that specialize and know what they are going to do you got to know enough that these people can't string you out right Absolutely. <laughs> you got to be able to ask the top five questions and get through that conversation yeah. but um building the right team around you is number one thing for success. You can't do it by yourself. How big is your team? <sighs> my team is growing. My team is, well, if we don't include my network of trades and suppliers, which mm -hmm. makes it quite big, my immediate team uh, is about six people that I'm relying on um, day, to day. day to day quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Anything uh, you can share with us that was a that was a, a real big learning in in managing a team, or do you think you had experience from your bootlegger days? Uh, yeah. Oh, I'm always learning. Mm. I when it comes to managing a team and people, um, I think that I've been in the roles of managing people and I think there's times where I've done it well and times that I have been terrible at it. And, um, you know, I'm in hyperdrive all the time and people say, how do you do all this? How do you do this? I don't realize that not everyone has that to do all that and they don't need to, you know, they don't, but you got to kind of accept what they're willing to do, what they're good at, where their strengths are. And I think what's really changed me in my later years in managing people or working with, I don't like to say managing people, I like to work with them, is mm. I read this, it was in a sales training, um, Sandler sales training, shout out to Sandler because they're awesome. If you ever want to work with a great training system, Sandler, I mm -hmm. did it for five years, I was probably there mm. way too long, but <laughs> it's great. But they have, and everybody has, you know, the personalities, the mm -hmm. four personality blocks, mm -hmm. and that most people are a combination. In a work setting, they will be one way, and in a personal setting, they'll be another way. Mm -hmm. And I'm fascinated by that stuff, and, but they describe it as birds. So you have your parrot, mm. you know, woohoo, look at me, let's have fun, big picture. 
You got your eagle who soars above the forest and can see everything that's going on. You have your owl who sits and watches everything, can turn their head all the way around and sees all the minute little mice on the ground yes. and where they're running to, right? And then you have your dove who sits in the nest and just wants the nest to be nice and comforting and come and sit in my nest and be here with me. And we're gonna keep it just like this. We're not gonna change it. It's gonna be very nice like this, right? So all those people have very, very strong skills in those areas. Mm -hmm. But if you get them to do something that's not suited to that personality type, it ruffles can, their feathers. It can ruffle their feathers. Nice. I like that. Mm. So just really recognizing people's strengths and using those. Jamila, do you think um, your story would have played out the way it played out had it not been the uh, $1 lot buy <laughs> in Beaverdale. If it wasn't Kelowna, would you have done what you've done in real estate in Toronto? In uh, I think there were so many forks in the road along the way that mm. could have played out differently. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, if I never read Rich Dad Poor Dad. Isn't that something? If Maybe if I read, what are some of the other really top, you know, what, um, books on entrepreneurs and business? You know, the uh, four minute. Oh yes, the four minute work week. Work week, yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe it was yeah. something else. Yeah. And that, that person was inspired by coffee mm -hmm. shops. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. You know, maybe it would have been the Starbucks story that inspired me and I went and traveled Europe and found the next whatever and brought it back. I don't know. Mm. I But I was super open yeah. to whatever it was going to be. And which means a lot of the setbacks that I had, a lot of the things that changed what I thought weren't as probably traumatic on me as they can be for other people. Mm. And I was going with the flow and then the flow took me into land baron real estate. <laughs> I, love it. I want to thank you so much for coming in and sharing your story with us because I 100% I know there's at least a dozen nuggets out of here. They'll uh, have a hard time in editing, picking out a quote that's their favorite. So there's uh, incredible wisdom that you shared and I'm, I'm just so thrilled that you uh, came in and shared with us. And... Um, I'm excited for you and your future here in Kelowna. Thank you. Do you mind if I mention one more thing? Please do. So I have been on the board recently for Habitat for Humanity, Okanagan. Mm. And I've, I've stepped down from the board. I'm still on a committee, but in the last five years, I've been working hard on a project in Lake Country. And we are starting to break ground and we're gonna be building 12 townhomes yes. there um, for families and Habitat for Humanity believes in affordable home ownership. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is something very significantly different because our provincial and federal mandate around mm -hmm. affordable homes, which is a very big buzzword, is affordable rental properties. And mm -hmm. I've sat in a presentation with BC Housing where they started their funding going towards affordable homes, so affordable rentals in the 50s. And today the need is three times what it was when they started. 
And to mm -hmm. me, that says we're doing something wrong. Absolutely. And so I'm a huge supporter of Habitat for Humanity um, in Canada and locally here because they believe in home ownership. And to me, that's the difference of giving a man a fish and teaching a man to fish. Absolutely. And so if anyone wants to get involved or donate or learn more, um, please visit Habitat for Humanity Okanagan and um, come see our project in Lake Country. And yeah, that's I it. I can't wait to look it up and learn more and I'm very much aware of it. Okay. That's wonderful. Great. Thank you for, for uh, volunteering in the community. Too. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks.